0: You're listening to the Chasing Tales Outdoor Podcast. On this week's episode, you're going to hear from Sean Curran on a public land turkey hunting in Ohio, the success of the trials that went into that, and some of the humor that, that sometimes can be overlooked in some of these awesome hunting stories. Here we go. Yeah! Welcome back to another episode of Chasing Tales, Outdoors, brought to you by Wild Edge Inc. I have been gone for a good little while now, and I apologize for that. I had to take some time and tend to some family business that came up, as well as take a CPA exam. And if you've been following me on social media, you saw that I got a new puppy, and she's been a handful thus far. But I I absolutely love her to death, and uh, I'm excited. Her name is Georgia, and she's the sweetest thing since uh, cherry pie. I'm telling you, she's just, she's awesome, so it's good to have a retriever in the house. My other dog is a great Pyrenees, and he just doesn't listen for, for shit, and uh, it's great to have a dog that's looking for a command and, and is, is eager to talk to you and, and, and work with you. She loves to play fetch, but uh, I got the CPA app, <clears throat> I got the exam out of the way, and So now you can start to come to expect more episodes from me on a routine basis. I've got a backlog from turkey season that I'm going to crank out, and i got some really cool stuff coming down the pipe. But before we do that, and before we get to this week's episode, I just want to say thanks to Wild Edge Inc. for being the title sponsor of this podcast. If you haven't already, you really need to take a look at the simplest, easiest, and most versatile climbing system. For tree stand hunters, and that's the step ladder by Wild Edge. A set of eight steps is going to take you 15 to 20 feet if you use the aider. They each come in at less than a pound each. So realistically speaking, y'all, you can get way up high for very lightweight. It compact it comes in a compact bag, and it's quickly become a favorite for me. So <clears throat> you can check them out at www.wildedgeinc.com and don't forget if you use the promo code ChasingTales1010, you get free shipping. On any order of steps. So with that said, guys, I'm going to get to the show. I hope you really enjoy it. And, I, and once again, I apologize for us delay. But Sean's an awesome storyteller. He he's a passionate outdoorsman and conservationist. And I know you're going to enjoy it. Well, everybody, I have got a guest on the line that I have been looking forward to talking to ever since I I was introduced to this fella, um, a good good friend of mine that I've made through the podcast. Uh, we were talking one day, and he said, "Dude, I've got the guy that you need to have on the podcast." And hyped this fellow up to no end and and uh, made the introduction for me. Matter of fact, you made the introduction. He asked me, would you like to meet him? And I said, sure. And I thought it was like, you know, hypothetical. Nope, sure enough. <laughs> Ten seconds later, there's this group chat. Walt, meet Sean. Sean, meet Walt. So yep, <laughs> I, I've got Sean Curran on the line. Oh, I never thought to ask you. Is it Curran? Yeah, Curran. Okay, yep. I got it right. On the line, I've got Sean Curran. Dude, thank you for taking time out of your day and, and uh, speaking with me.
1: Heck yeah, no, it's a pleasure, man. I've been looking for it for a long time, and that's, uh yeah. I don't know about the introduction that uh, that Mr. Clarkson provided. You know, he <laughs> might have embellished a little bit, so, you know, I'm sure I'll fall short of all the high expectations that <laughs>
0: set. Uh, I highly doubt that. I, but yeah, Sean Sean's a good guy. He's uh, he has loaded yes. me with with folks a, a list. He's a, he's a good guy. Yes,
1: he is. He's one of the best.
0: <laughs> yes, absolutely. So, Sean, as we start off all of these, I just kind of want to give you an opportunity. Where are you located? What What do people need to know about your outdoor hunting adventures? What game do you pursue? Give, give us a little bit of a bio as to who you are.
1: Yeah, no, sure. I appreciate that. No, it's um, born and raised uh, in Ohio. Grew up in northeast Ohio, um, kind of between Cleveland and, and the Pittsburgh area. Grew up in the Youngstown area. Uh, moved down to central Ohio, and uh, so... I'm just kind of outside Columbus right now. That's kind of where I call home and uh, that's where I do a good bit uh, of hunting. Um, my pursuits are mainly, you know, chasing deer with a bow and uh, getting after waterfowl um, do a little bit, a little bit of Turkey hunting in the spring. And uh, that's just to, to kind of scratch the itch a little bit, you know, and get out and, and, you know, kind of do some things between hunting seasons. But yeah, um, small game stuff as well too. It's it's just kind of whatever's in season. I just love being outdoors and that's just kind of how I've I've kind of always been. Um, grew up spending a lot of time with my grandfather. You know, he's the one who is uh, really the catalyst for introducing me to the outdoors and, you know, taking me camping and fishing, uh, you know, as a youngster and um, he did quite a bit of hunting as well too. So, you know, growing up, um, I was always one of the first phone calls to get when he was coming home from, from deer camp and you know, there's pictures of me when I'm 18 months old sitting on the back of, you know, deer that he killed either in Ohio or West Virginia or Pennsylvania. And so um, it's just part of me, you know, just, just like you and just like, you know, all your guests on here. It's just, it's in our DNA, man. It's just kind of who we are.
0: Yeah, no. And, and you are <clears throat> you are what I would consider just a a generalist, dude. If it flies, it dies. If it hops, it drops. I mean, you just... If you go on your Instagram, dude, you just chase just about anything Ohio has to offer. Is that, that's pretty accurate, right? Yeah. I mean, if it's, like (laughs) I said, if it's
1: it's in season, you know, um, I'm out there getting after it. You know, that's the, that's the beauty of it is we've got, uh, we've got a long deer season. Our bow season comes in usually at the end of September and then runs through early February. Wow. In between. Yeah. Yeah. So you've, I mean, you can archery hunt for a good Bit of the year up here, um, so you know the deer are there. Um, when the birds start migrating through, um, I'm chasing birds. Of course, living in central Ohio, it's not like we're in a, in a major flyway here, so um, it can be tough from time to time. But yeah, we still we still manage to bang out a couple birds every once in a while. Um, but yeah, if if I'm if I'm bored with deer hunting and I'm not seeing any birds, then let's go, let's go chase some rabbits, go chase some squirrels. You know, let's do some predator hunting, some trapping. Let's start getting after some other stuff. So I just, I just have to be outside I Have to be doing stuff.
0: Yeah. You know, uh, for all of our Georgia and Florida, and mainly our Georgia listeners, you're not going to get any sympathy about not being in a flyway when it comes to waterfowl, man. I mean, <laughs> Georgia, yeah. Georgia is pretty dadgum bad. I moved to Florida and there were, uh, just three hours West. And because of the lake and swamp systems we have here, we've got, 10 15 times as many birds but georgia just doesn't have anything to hold birds at all they f- literally just fly right over straight to florida man south florida so
1: yeah it's same same up here i mean when they're here you got to get on <laughs> them and you got to get on them right now because they're, yeah. they're not going to stay long sure and they get a lot of pressure too so yeah uh, but it's fun i love it
0: well your your goose hunting has probably improved a lot just with the abundance of ca- uh, canadians right yeah
1: yeah we've got um yeah we've got an early goose season actually that kicks in that's usually september 1st and runs for probably two weeks so it's you know you're mainly targeting resident birds there and that's that's by design to try to knock the, right. the population of residents down um so it, it it can be kind of tough hunting in you know september because you're out there and you know flip-flops and swatting mosquitoes uh, it's probably like what it's like <laughs> yeah. <hunting> in florida <laughs> but, you know but uh but yeah it's uh we've got quite a quite a bit of them and then it usually heats up you know as it gets colder towards christmas time and into january um you know when we start getting those real cold days and start hitting peak migrations sure. and you know last year was kind of cool we, we saw um just some different species coming through a little bit here we've been seeing more and more snow geese kind of coming this way and i don't know if that's you know just a factor of the oh, cool uh, the, the the growing snow goose population or what have you but you know we had them we had them close a couple times just not within gun range but you know we had our we had our Canada's already done for the day. We had our limit of those and we were just kind of waiting for some of those. And, you know, we've seen some, some specs and, and, and stuff like that here too. So every once in a while you get those, those cool things that, you know, you don't see around here very often.
0: Yeah. No, that's, that's awesome, dude. That's, uh, being my, my dad was such a big bird hunter growing up and I was a real, uh, uh, intelligent person and refused to go bird hunting with him for some reason I had this like elitist mentality that oh well, hunting birds is in this inferior pursuit and big game is where it's at and I right. I, I finally maybe realized that there was some wisdom to the to, to chasing uh, birds and uh, we had a, a duck pond it was a tupelo gum swamp bottom that we ended up getting a grant to tap it and put in a well that we could control the water level because it was this beautiful, pristine um, area. That because we had put timber in, you know, the the pine mm-hmm. rows, we had lost the natural drainage there. Um, yeah. And man, I shot some wood ducks out of that hole, man! And I never awesome. the first time I went back in there, there were two or three hundred you know, to you, it's like two or three hundred thousand the first time you see a bunch of birds get up off the water. But realistically, it was about two or three hundred birds that got off and, and took took off running. And from that point forth, I was hooked with waterfowl, man. And the idea of being able to chase geese has always been something that's a, a, a little bit more northern pursuit. But I'll get there one day.
1: Open invitation, buddy. Uh, oh, I got a I got a I got a spare room for you. We'll put you up.
0: <laughs> oh, and, my God, uh, dude. I'm... We'll put
1: we'll put some big canadas right in front of you. So we like to we like to hunt them in fields and get them in close. And, you know, and then, you know, when we shoot our limit, we usually get a couple of these hunts a year where we can get our limit and then we can just sit back and watch the show and, you know, take pictures and just enjoy it. You know, it's just, it's, it's fun for us. It's torture for my dog. because <laughs> like, He's like, dude, why aren't you shooting? Come on. <laughs> but yeah, open invitation. We'd love, love taking people out. You know, we always have, uh, you know, a couple hunts a year where we get new people into it. And, um, you know, that's what it's all about is it's getting new people into different experiences, whether it's waterfowl or deer or what have you, um, you know, taking people out and and seeing them, you know, shoot that first goose for the, for their first time, like, shoot, that's a rush for me. I love it.
0: It's almost more, it's almost more rewarding than actually going out and getting something yourself, isn't it?
1: Oh, it is. It is. It's a lot of fun. And, you know, and then, like you were talking about, like that, that light bulb goes off. Cause I mean, I didn't grow up waterfowl hunting. It was something that, you know, my friends introduced to me because, you know, I had a similar thought on things as you did. Um, it was just deer, all deer. There's nothing else except deer. I just want to hunt deer. <laughs> exactly. And you know, my buddies are like current, come on, you got to climb down from the tree. You're, you're, you're a little too high up in the altitude. I think it's getting it to you. I need to come out here and slum with us in the swamps a little bit. And so, you know, I did that. And after the first time doing it, it was like, oh, yeah, there are other things to do now. <laughs> so, <laughs> absolutely. Open invitation, man.
0: Well, I, listen, you tempt me with it a good time too many times, and you're just going to hear a knock at the door. So, but no, perfect. Wow. <laughs> well, I was scrolling through Instagram one day, and I saw a bird that I just saw there was a story in the one photo that you posted. And this was, this was a, a bird that you shot this season. Okay. And the smiles between you and your buddy told me that a good time was had, that there was probably a good story to go along with it, and I was really hoping I could get you to share the story behind the turkey hunt that you had this year. The
1: turkey hunt, yeah. There was <laughs>
0: <laughs> there was
1: some there was some smiles for sure, um, and that that hunt it's kind of just been in our, in our small circle of friends. It's, it's kind of been called the $700 turkey hunt. Um, Whoa. And, and I'll get, I'll get to that point towards the end, <laughs> I guess, but, um, yeah, so it was, uh, my buddy, John and our buddy Taylor. Um, you know, we all, uh, we all got together and, uh, you know, we've, we've done John and I hunt, for the most part up here, um, waterfowl. And we've been trying to get Taylor to come up with us because, you know, he doesn't believe us that there's other things to do besides deer. And, uh, we weren't able to put a, a good goose hunt together for him this year. And so, you know, he lives down in Southern Ohio and we were talking about doing some Turkey hunting. He's like, well, you guys got to come down and join it. You know, I'll, I'll show you guys around. He calls us flatlanders, right? Cause up here in central Ohio, it is flat. I mean, there's, there's like, 10 feet of elevation change, you know, up here down there in Southern Ohio, they got a lot more Hills. And uh, so he's like, you got y'all flatlanders need to come down here. So we did. (laughs) And uh, you know, we, we, uh, we got out there and uh, you know, kind of scouted the night before and and heard some birds, you know, gobble as they were going up to roost and made our game plan. And uh, you know, we just said, well, we'll get up the next morning. We're going to go after that bird right over there on the Ridge. So, we, uh, we set out bright and early and, and got up there, and, and, and uh, the plan was to kind of run and gun. And, um, <clears throat> you know, that's how that's how he liked to do it down there. And so we said, well, by all means, let's go. Let's try it, you know. I'm used to kind of setting decoys in a field and just sitting there and waiting. Um, I'm all about trying new different things. So, you know, we heard the bird, you know, kind of kind of gobble there at first light. So we started, you know, making the beeline through the woods to, to get to him. In the process of doing so, we ended up bumping some birds, of course, and uh, you know we're like, "Oh crap!" You know what now? We're over here on this one ridge, and then all of a sudden, on the opposite ridge, we hear a bird just fire off. We're like, "Well, let's go after that one." So down this big ridge, down this hillside, we go. You know, get down to the bottom, cross the creek. You know, kind of stop and pause, and, and Taylor calls a little bit, and that bird just just hammers back. We're like, oh man. Okay. He's hot. Let's start making our way up here. So we're, uh, we're kind of making our way up this hill and, uh, it, it's, it's more of a hill. I think we probably should have had like repelling gear and ropes to get up it. <laughs> because... <laughs> and, and Taylor, right. He's, he's born and raised down there. So, uh, going up and down these hills and his legs are like 10 feet long each, you know, he's taking like one or two strides and, you know, it's like, five of my strides and he's just running up and running up this hill. And John and I are, you know, carrying our guns and we're like pulling trees and climbing up this hill and, you know, look down, and, you know, you look back behind you and it's like, holy cow, this could get bad. So we're easing up this hill and, and you know, we kind of get on this little, this side bench and pause for a minute. And this, you know, Taylor just calls real soft, just gives him a couple little yelps and he just, boom, fires back. So we start kind of easing up, going real slow towards the top. And uh, Taylor's to my right. I'm off of his left shoulder, and John's kind of behind me. Taylor's a couple inches taller than me, so he could see just right over the the, the crest of the, the ridge. And then he just reaches over, grabs my arm, and just pulls me down. He's like, get down now. So we're both sitting there just wide open, exposed. You know, there's no time to find cover find a tree nothing this bird is coming and he's hot and it's just firing i'm on my knees with my gun up just shouldered just waiting but i can't see anything but we can hear him up there just spitting and drumming spitting and drumming and taylor will just give a little little call little yelp and he would just fire off well in the meantime i'm thinking god taylor if i see this bird i'm gonna ring your ears because you know you're right (laughs) next to me man So luckily he's like part mind reader as well. So he starts, (laughs) (laughs) he starts sliding downhill and sounded like a head and feeding, right? He starts scratching the leaves and just by making that little bit of noise, he's like the turkey whisperer, man. He reads these, these birds brains and it brings that bird right towards the edge, just enough to where I can see his head and he's just fired up. He's in full strut. I've got no shot. There's all kinds of stuff right in front of me, but he's kind of working a little bit from, from left to right. And there's a small opening and he gets in that opening just as he gets in that opening. It's like Taylor, the Turkey whisperer knew it. (laughs) He, He gobbled or he, he just calls real soft again. That bird gobbled and, you know, safety was off. Finger was on the trigger. The bird was down, boom, one shot, just done. And it was just, you know, it happened so quick, so fast but yet it seemed like it took an eternity, you know, to go through that whole process of up and down (laughs) these Hills, you know, we're, we're all the way back. And I don't even know how long, how far we walked in. It it was probably, you know, at least, at least 10 to 20 miles just to make the story sound good. But, uh, (laughs) but it was it, man. You tell my
0: kind of story, Sean. (laughs) uh,
1: Never let the truth get in the way of a good story. That's That's what wise man once told me. So, but no, we were, we were back there as a good ways and, uh, it was a good bird, you know. Probably, probably a two-year-old bird. I mean, uh, uh, I was just tickled. It's all about the experience for me, you know. It's, um, it, it could have been, it could have been a Jake, you know, and then, you know, I probably would have shot a Jake too, because, because the experience of that moment, you got three good friends that are getting to create that experience together out in the woods and and see all that stuff and hear it and 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 just that's what it's all about, you know. Um, the bird was icing on the cake, and you know that's meals on the table for the family. Um, but it's those memories that's that's the true trophy of the whole thing. It's those memories that you create and the experience that you have. And you know you're seeing things that nobody else gets to see and experience in this world. And that's why it's you know that's why hunting is so special, just being out there for those types of things. But you know the re- so the reason why it's called the seven hundred dollar bird is not because I went to the taxidermist or anything. Um, we were we were down here in southern Ohio camping for a couple of days and I had my truck uh, John and I drove down separate because I had to oh
0: no I think le- I know where this is going
1: I had to leave hunting camp a, a day early to get home for some work and family obligations and he was going to stay through the weekend and yeah down there in the middle of nowhere and John and I were out scouting that same night that I shot my bird trying to locate more birds for him for the next morning and Um, you know, we went out, had a great scouting trip, found a bunch of birds that we were going to go after the next morning. And, uh, my truck is a a 2002 Toyota Tundra named the Silver Slayer. And, uh, she's been a great truck. She's got 208,000 miles on her and we're driving down the road and we're coming back to camp. And John and I are lamenting about all the different things that we've, you know, all the places we've gone and and hunts we've had and all the decoys and deer and ducks that that truck has carried. And I patted her on the dashboard and 30 seconds later. She starts making a new noise that I never heard before out of an old truck. And I'm like, no. And neither one of us said anything for a second because we were both kind of new. And I'm like, that's a new noise. John goes, yep. And it started getting a little bit louder and louder. And we just coasted right into camp and I shut it off immediately. And I'm like, you know, you go through that whole range of emotions. I'm like, I'm just mad. Right. And then I'm like, well, John talked me through it like a good friend. He's like, well, what are you going to do, man? We're down here hunting. It's not like the mechanics open tonight or tomorrow morning for that matter. Might as well just forget about it and let's enjoy it and hunt tomorrow morning. And so, you know, that's what we did. You know, we went through that and, and hunted the next morning. And then, you know, I, I, uh, I called my mechanic back here and, and he was helping me troubleshoot. We're texting pictures and videos back and forth. And he's like, yeah, man, that's not sounding good. You're going to have to have her towed. So, uh, had it, had it towed from, middle of nowhere center or Southern Ohio back to central Ohio for 250 bucks. And then, you know, a $450 repair later, oh. there's your $700, $700 turkey. <laughs> <laughs> but, but you know, the silver slayer, she's still running, man. She's out there in the driveway right now. So
0: <laughs> that's awesome, dude. Yeah. Yeah. I, I had yeah. a, I had a 2002 Toyota that I used to hunt from. Um, but it was far less glamorous than the, uh, the Silver Slayer. My friends had nicknamed it the Swagger Wagon. It was a two thousand. <laughs> <laughs> it, it was a two thousand and two Toyota Sienna minivan, and nice. uh, I had a I had a Ford F one fifty, and it blew. I think I can't recall what it was, but let's just say for the sake of the story, it was totaled. And uh, at this time, cash for clunkers was coming out. And dad was like, well, I'm taking that F1, 1990 f 150 and I'm turning it into a Toyota Tacoma. You can have the old family van.
1: Nice.
0: Now, when I say this is an old family van, the emphasis needs to be on old. It had no working AC. Oh, yeah. It had one working window, and that was the passenger side window. Oh, that's brutal. The, The driver's side door knob, door handle, had ripped out. So you had to open up the back door to reach inside and open up the door to get inside of it. That's it awesome. was, but, <laughs> but I'm going to tell you something now. Everybody used to laugh at me. That joker got 24 miles to the gallon. Every, hey, there you go. every time I turned the, the the key, that thing fired up and I could take the the, the the seats out of the middle and the back. And that thing was my rolling deer camp. I haul I hauled more hogs, ducks, deer, and the back of that joker. And I tell you something, you can park that anywhere you want to on public land. And ain't nobody right. going to walk down that trail after you because <laughs> they don't think you have a sense in your, in your skull. You know, no. they, they see that minivan, they're like, oh, this guy doesn't know what he's doing. There must not be any deer there. And they,
1: that's exactly <laughs> right, man. That's awesome. That's like a, that's like a, a, you're driving a decoy in a sense, yeah. right?
0: <laughs> yeah. Like,
1: like I, uh, might as yeah. well have a, a Prius or something over there. That's, that's, that's kind of brilliant, actually. I need to start doing that for, you know, get rid of the truck and drive around in a, in a decoy for when I'm scouting for birds. That way nobody knows, you know. <laughs> yeah. I was, I was. Oh. I
0: was listening to Randy Newberg the other day and he was talking to the, uh, the, the guys from board and Ray's, and they were talking about how they have a decoy vehicle. And I was just chuckling. I was like, man, <laughs> my, my primary vehicle <laughs> was my decoy vehicle. You know? <laughs> I'd pull up to the deer rant or the duck. We had this, this check station. You could go in and, uh, if the quota hunters didn't show up, you could just, you know, walk in and, and get a spot. And I used to pull up in this ratty old minivan that you know it purred like a kitten in that regard. You know oh, yeah. it functioned just fine. Uh, and I'd pull up, I'd pull up, and I'd get my my neoprene waders out and I'd put those on. And I'd sling my decoys over my back, and all the guys would be laughing. I was like, "Hey man, this thing was paid for. It gets good gas mileage." And I just put four bags of decoys in the back of it, and there was still room for other people to walk around or sit. That's there, right. You know? So yeah, man, those Nothing old vehicles. Wrong with that. Yeah, those old vehicles. They 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 add to the story.
1: They do. That's character. That's character. And that's, you know, John's, you know, probably one of the best hunting buddies I've ever had. And that's where we're sitting around the campfire that night. And I'm all, I'm still fuming. I'm still hot about it. And he's like, man, just relax. You're going to sit back. We're going to tell this story time and time again. And, and you're going to laugh, man. And it's just going to add to it. And, you know, he was he was right on the money. He's always just uh, calm, cool, and collective. And uh, he, he was, he was spot on. So. Yep. Those old vehicles, man, they have a lot of character and they add to it. That's for sure.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Now that, so I've, I've got some questions about this hunt. Yeah. How, and, and, and I'm always curious cause I'm in my, going into my ninth year of not having killed a turkey, having started turkey hunting. Now, disclo- full disclosure, I didn't really start hard hunting turkeys mm-hmm. until about two years ago. So yeah. it, I'm not that terrible hunter. Sean would have you think otherwise, but uh, not you Clarkson, Clarkson? Uh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> he would have you think otherwise but uh, for the sake of a good story it's been nine years now that I've been chasing turkeys and I'm always interested to hear why people picked the spot they did or went after things in the style that they did so you you mentioned that you went scouting the day before mm-hmm. was it first off was this public or private
1: yeah we were hunting all public land okay so that was that was kind of a fun aspect of it there too was just you know these are these are public land birds anybody can just jump in and go after them so you know that adds a little bit of extra challenge to it for sure
0: oh absolutely so that that segues perfectly into my next question which is how did you identify the place that you wanted to go balancing the idea of other hunters um, mm-hmm. and your style of hunting
1: yeah so we were you know this was a, a learning experience for us as well too because you know Taylor's like well we're gonna we're gonna run and gun for these and so you know we would go out in the evenings and and we would do this around central ohio as well too is you know you you know hunting around here we're hunting smaller parcels of property where it's it's generally private property um and you've got permission but you know maybe it's only say 100 acres so you know either the birds are there or they're not you know um but down here we're hunting tens of thousands of acres and uh you just have a lot more room to roam um so we're using, um, you know, we all have Onyx maps on our phone, and we use that, you know, down there to, number one, just to make sure that, because um, it's all cut up. It's not like just one giant rectangle, and you, you enter here, and you can go all around the place, you know. Sure. Uh, there's there's chunks here. There's private that interjects here and there. Um, so you kind of got to know where you're at. So, um, But we would, you know, drive these roads, and, um, you know, just kind of in the evenings before the birds are, you know, getting ready to settle down. And they're uh, there. We'd listen for them to kind of gobble on roost. And, um, you know, once you once you hear that, um, you get one to shock gobble back at you and you hear where he's at approximately. You kind of mark that. Right. Sure. Um, and then you kind of OK, we got this bird here. We know he's in this section. We can go after him. Let's go. Let's go check this section down here. And so, you know, we were trying when we were scouting, we were trying to locate a couple different birds, because when you pull up there in the morning, you don't know what's going to happen there might already be a truck there and then all of a sudden you're like okay that guy beat us here you know that's his bird to go after what's plan b so you got to have plan b and plan c and you know uh, so that's kind of what the what the game plan was for scouting was to go out and, and try to locate a couple birds that you know you can get after in the morning and you know once you located a couple we would kind of head back to camp and go well you know that that second one that we located that one seemed to be you know probably the easiest access or maybe the, you know, the, the easiest one to slip on. Let's go after that one. And so you just kind of game plan and figure it out and, and, uh, uh, go from there. Then just get out there early in the morning because hunting public, you know how it is. I mean, you got to get there first. <laughs> if, if you're not first, you're last yeah.
0: <laughs> so. best movie ever. Yeah.
1: <laughs> Anytime I can throw a Ricky Bobby quote in there, then we're all right. <laughs>
0: So, so if you were given the opportunity to hunt a field edge or, or thick timber for turkeys, what would you do? Mm-hmm.
1: You know, after experiencing, you know, that, that, that style of hunting down there, um, I, you know, I think, I think I would go back to, to hunting that big timber. Um, just, just having that room to roam and run and, um, and, and chase those birds around and, and, you know, every single one is different and you're trying to, creep in on it different ways and, and use the terrain. And, and, uh, um, that was just a lot of fun. And, you know, maybe it just seemed more fun because that was kind of a new experience doing it that way. I'm used to, you know, being a flatlander hunting these field edges and and stuff like that. And, you know, that's fun (laughs) too, because you get a, you get a visual show and sure. Sometimes, sometimes you can see those birds come from a long ways and put on a show. And, um, but yeah, I, I, I guess, you know, just from the adventure aspect I'm I'm gonna go back, Big Timber.
0: Gotcha. Yeah, I mean, I, I I'm with you, man. As far as I'm concerned, as long as he's gobbling, I, I my my only requirement for hunting turkeys and and staying on turkey is that he talks to me. For me, I'm not interested in chasing a bird that is not going to talk to me. That if I want to chase mm-hmm. something and, and 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 sit there and wait for it to come by, I'm going to do deer. You know, like yeah, yeah. <laughs> I didn't put all this time into learning how to talk turkey or trying to learn how to talk turkey just to, to to not be able to talk to him. You know, I mean, that's kind of the intrigue to me is the ability to engage with an animal on mm-hmm. on a on a I mean, a fairly intimate level. If you think about what you're doing, you're you're right. you're engaging in its in its uh, reproduction process. I mean, you're yeah, you're <laughs> you are you are manipulating a very uh, uh, ingrained aspect of that bird's psyche mm-hmm. for whatever psyche you, you'll give to a turkey. Uh, right. That And when you're hunting deer, I mean, you're just basically a silent predator, you know, mm-hmm. don't move, don't talk take a tree stand selfie and you're good to go, you know, like, exactly. <laughs> so, you know, this, this past year was, was brutal for me just cause, you know, there were places I could have sat up several, several different places that were just, I mean, littered with scat and tracks. And if I'd sat there long enough, something with, with a beard, gonna walk by. yeah, but man, that's just not, it's hot. The bugs are everywhere. If I'm going to sit down, I want to sit down for a short, the shortest period of time and, yeah. uh, have something distract me. That's just me. But
1: yeah, no, I mean, I'm with you. I'm with you. I mean, if, and that, that calling aspect, you know, that's that's a lot of fun, right? And it's just the, like you said, you're 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 trying to make that bird do something that it is not normally going to do because normally, you know, they're sounding off and they're calling those hens to them, but you're out there trying to reverse that process right. and say, uh, uh-uh, uh, big boy, you come to me.
0: Exactly. And uh,
1: that's that's the fun part. That's the challenge.
0: Isn't it? I mean, it's, 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 it's awesome, dude. That's, uh, it's cool. And I think that's, you know, we touched on this earlier, earlier waterfowl. I think that's part of what I like about waterfowl because, you know, while you're not engaging in in the, in the reproductive cycle and in that aspect of it, you're not hunting Mm -hmm. a quote unquote rut you know you get in you get as close as you can to the x for that day and then you got to convince oh, yeah. some of those birds that they need to come over to you and there's nothing cooler than getting on a call and seeing that bird immediately change flight and you know good and daggum well you did that mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah you talked yep. you talked ringneck you talked whatever it was uh, in my case it's typical typically uh spoonbills that'll talk to me but uh, <laughs> you know but no you're right yeah yeah i mean you're
1: Cause you're reading, you're reading that animal as sure. well too. Right. And it's just, you know, you, you see it do something. Right. And then that makes you respond accordingly. Like, Oh, okay. I need to call harder. Nope. I need to call softer. Sure. I need to, I need to feed her chuckle or I know I need to hit real hard with a comeback call, make those birds turn. And then when they do and they cup up, Oh man,
0: the smile is just like <laughs> automatic. You're like,
1: oh, okay, here we go, boys. Get ready. Yeah. <laughs> I, I, so, I think
0: I think it kind of also goes back to what you mentioned earlier, which is, you know, as a hunter, you get to experience things in an aspect of of the of the outdoor world, the realm, you get to engage on a level that uh, most people don't get to. And I think, you know, it's just a, a prime example of one of those things that someone who doesn't do it doesn't doesn't know exists or what it feels like to engage. And 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 I think the other thing is humans are so far removed from being part of the environment that yeah. it's this unwelcome, uh, uncomfortably cool engagement. You know, you, you engage with nature on a way that you probably should just realize that's natural, right? You know, mm-hmm. everything interacts with everything, but we don't think about it oftentimes that way. So it's, it's, uh, it's turkey hunting cool in that gr- regard. So man, it's
1: the, the disconnect is something that is just, I think we don't even appreciate it as hunters. Um, I think we take it for granted, I guess, sure. is, is, how much we, how much we see and how much we understand just because we're hunters. Um, I, I just, I see it all the time and it's, it's the little things, you know, it's just, it's, it's reading wind direction. I mean, mm-hmm. who else thinks about wind direction besides <laughs> hunters, right? You know? Yeah. Walk outside in the morning. I'm like, yeah, man, wind's out of the Southwest today. And my wife's like, what <laughs> yeah. is, is, is that to the left or to the right? I'm like I don't know but the barometric pressure is rising <laughs> so it's going to be a good day.
0: <laughs> yeah, I was just thinking that when you said that. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, we, I, I've got it, I've got a little barometric I've got a clock that or a little desk thing, I don't know what you would call it, but it's it's a temperature gauge, a humidifier and a uh, a barometric, barometric uh pressure dial and it used to sit on yeah. my grandfather's desk at his at his doctor's office and nice. I'll sit here all the time and I'll be studying for my CPA or editing a podcast and I look over I'm like Oh, would you look at that? The pressure's rising. I guess it I guess this is going to get edited at a different time cuz I'm going to go sit on that white oak flat cuz I know, you know, that mm-hmm. that southwest wind is going to hit that water and the thermal's going to get That's another thing, thermals. Nobody thinks about yes. thermals.
1: Especially, <laughs> yeah, well, especially if you're hunting in the hills, too. I mean, that's that's the big thing. Um, absolutely. Yeah. And my wife's like, "Wait, you 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 got a what?" I'm like, "Honey, the wind's right. I got to go hunt that swim tonight." <laughs> <laughs> Thank goodness she's a patient woman and uh she's been with me almost 15 well we'll be married 15 years in September so
0: congratulations uh,
1: yeah thank you man appreciate it you know she's uh she's a patient woman what can i say and uh you know luckily she she does she does like venison as long as it's ground she's she's not a steak person at all anyway but uh so we eat quite a bit of deer and you know she'll eat all the other stuff so you know that's the other that's the other aspect of you know just disconnection with society right you know we they're disconnected with nature in a lot of ways and just observing what's around them, what's in their surroundings. But, you know, the food disconnection is just, um, you know, it's just something I've thought about more and more the last several years. And it's like, man, we just, we just, we take it for granted as hunters, you know, cause it just, it's what we do. Mm-hmm. Um, but you know, that's, that kind of goes into, you know, you, you mentioned looking, looking through Instagram and different things like that. I mean, I, I post probably as many food pictures of, of game go. dishes that we cook <laughs> as we do as we do dead animals, you know. And I, I've started doing that more, more I guess, um, consciously in recent years, just to help tell that story to other people, other other friends of mine on social that aren't necessarily hunters. Um, you know, they don't because of that disconnect from things, right? They see a grip and grin photo, and I take grip and grins. I love them, but they see that. And then that's all that they think of.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: But now, you know, from, from friends of mine that, that, again, don't hunt or whatever, seeing, seeing the other side of hunting, you know, they see us out scouting in the summertime. They see us with trail cam pictures, they see the food. And, and that's the biggest thing into it is that, you know, venison diplomacy, you know, if you have somebody that you can share a meal with and let them know that, yeah, that's, that's venison you just had. And they're like, their mind is blown with how good it is. Are you kidding me? This is venison. I thought this was like, you know, Kobe beef or something. You know, it's it's like no, that's that's that deer that you know I shot last fall and took good care of it. And you know, sharing those meals is just a, a continuation of that experience too. You know, and it's uh, it it really brings things full circle. And um, I think we don't appreciate that kind of stuff enough. We just take it for granted because it's it's well, we've always hunted. We've always ate what we hunt it's no big deal. Um, but as society kind of changes and moves away from, you know, a, a more of a agricultural society to where we are an urbanized society now, you know, it's more important than ever to, to rekindle those connections for people and to show them those types of things and to tell them that complete story, because, you know, as hunters, we've been kind of bastardized, if you will, over the, over the years, you know, from things like, you know, the, the, the stereotypical, you know, redneck hunter that we're all just driving around, you know, shooting guns out windows. And that couldn't be further from the truth. You know, there's a lot of work that goes into these types of things that we do um, from, from setting decoys at four o'clock in the morning to pulling deer out of the, the woods and everything in between. I mean, it's a, uh, it's a lot of work that, uh, that goes into it. And uh, it's, I don't know, it's just special in so many different ways.
0: It, it really is. And you know, there's so many people that have said, they're going to say things that are going to communicate this better than I ever can. I mean, you've got people like yourself, like you just, you, you you did such a good job of, of touching on all the different aspects of what hunters need to consider when they can, when, when they think about what non hunters don't experience, you know, the things Mm -hmm. that we take for granted from, you know, everybody says the the environment, you know, you think about thermals and stuff like that. I, the consumption of food, you know, the fat, the food aspect of that. And then, you know, I think something that is getting really hit on hard right now, the pendulum is swinging and, and, and I, I appreciate that people are thinking about it, but I also think that we need to not push this out the door completely, um, is the gripping grants that mm-hmm. it's okay for you to be proud of your accomplishment in the sense Absolutely. that in the sense that you, you have a, you can compete with yourself, you can compete with the animal, you can compete with the environment, you can work for food, and then you can have something at the end of the day that is, uh, resembles that, tri- that that triumph, whether it's a photo at the end of you and your buddy raising your hands and there's no animal present, or the the, the food photo, or if it's just a simple and grin, however you want to go about that. I mean, obviously there are some ways that you, you probably shouldn't display the animal, like, you know yeah respectfully you know a grin right, is respectful right. i think the problem and i think the pushback that a lot of people are are finding themselves feeling compelled to do is that it you, we, we we see so many we're so inundated with so many gripping grins and and yeah. not the food aspect and not the adventure aspect and not the competitive that we've we've kind of we're starting to pigeonhole ourselves a little bit in this idea of well just no gripping grins you know like yeah. all i'm going to show is the food well are you really communicating the message as a whole
1: yeah no i would agree with you 100 percent on that and it's um it's part of the process it is and you should you should be proud of it and, and it's okay to post those pictures right you know as you said do it respectfully you know sure. you know make sure whatever you're doing is is done in good taste um because it's the pursuit of hunting deserves that um every every other hunter out there deserves that as well too so when one of us does something you know if we do something poorly it's a reflection on the entire community yes whether we want to think that way or not but we have to we have to think bigger picture on these things because there's you know what the latest report you know there's approximately 13 million you know licensed buying hunters um, it's it's probably a little bit bigger figure than that when you factor in things like license churn because not everybody has a hunting license or goes hunting every year but you know for the sake of conversation call it 13 million hunters you know that represents less than 5% of the U S population at this point in time. And we're not exactly doing things to, to grow those numbers. You know, I mean, in fact, you know, I'm sure you've seen a lot of those different reports that are out there and, and some of the articles recently that are, are, are pointing that, you know, we've got a, we've got a serious problem here in the next five to 10 years when, you know, our, our aging demographic of hunters yep. you know, and our ba- our baby boomers start to fall out of hunting for, yep. for a variety of reasons, you know, probably the biggest of which is, you know, they're getting older, they're aging and they're just not going to be able to go out and do it like they used to do. And so that's why it's more important than ever that we paint a positive light of these things. And yeah, post those pictures, man. Absolutely. Be proud of them. Do it in a good way. And and put some context to it as well too, you know, explain it, you know, and don't just put something out there that says, you know, yeah, kill it and grill it. It's like, well, okay, we've got to move beyond that. We've Mm -hmm. got to do better. We've got to tell the story. And it's a it's an amazing story to tell. I mean, the whole conservation side of hunting Absolutely. and all the positives. It's 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 a long story to tell because there's a lot to it, and it's one that we've frankly, as as hunters, we've we've kind of sucked at telling it over the years, you know, um, because hunting is one of those things that it's an escape for us, right? I mean, it's it's what we do to, you know, we work hard all week and then we get out there on the weekends and, um, you know, we just we don't want to think about having to tell the story or maybe we haven't even been taught it ourselves because, you know, it, it, it was probably on the back page of the Hunter Ed manual when, when we took the class, you know, however many years ago and who, who knew what Pittman Robertson was or any of these types of things. But, you know, that's where it's incumbent upon all of us to, to learn more and to educate ourselves and then to be able to tell that story in our own words, because we're all going to tell it differently and we're all going to tell it well. But we have to know that stuff, and we have to know, you know, where that money comes from, and, and what the, where the dollars go, you know, how it, how does it fund con- conservation, so that when your non-hunting friends, you know, ask you that question, you can you can start to explain it, and uh, and it, you know, it doesn't take long for for an average person to really start to understand, and see the big picture that, oh really, I didn't know that, white-tailed deer and wild turkeys and elk and Antelope. I didn't you know those were were almost eliminated. You know, hundred and some years ago, and and regulated hunting brought them back. Yeah, regulated hunting. That's the key to it, right? And, and so you start having those conversations and those explanations, and and people are like, oh, well, yeah, that makes sense now. I get it. Yeah. So hunting is important, and uh you know that's that's crucial for all of us to do, you know, because there's so many so many different you know things changing in society and how people view things that um, that we've got to do better just as a, as a, as a hunting culture, we have to do better.
0: Yeah. And, and, and do better is, is a, a good word for that. And, but I, I would go, and I'm going to really upset some people here and don't judge me from the moment I say this, I'm going to explain mm-hmm. in detail, but I really don't think we've tried to tell our story. Now, again, there are some people who have been trying to tell the story. I'm not saying yep. that everybody out there, but realistically speaking, we need to look at the whole the, the the hunting community as a whole, and realistically speaking, we have not gone undergone any detailed, thorough, consistent me- method or model of trying to get the entire picture out there. We have instead taken this idea of, you know, to hell with you. You're not going to take my hunt, my God-given rights. Or yeah. You know, and and I'm not and I'm not bashing that that sentiment. That sentiment is right. It is fair. You you should feel that way. Yep. No, but, I understand that. But completely. that but that also charges all of us to make sure that it stays here. You can't just sit here and say it's not raining and then stand in the rain. I mean, realistically, mm-hmm. you got to put an umbrella up one day and re, you know accept the fact that it's raining. We have to do a better job on a national scale, and I think we need to get back to what you just mentioned and it's huge and I think it's the the biggest component of that and that's the North American conservation model. If people can realize and if we could if we could A reach out to people across the I don't wanna say aisle because it's not political, but if you could reach out to people in the other sphere. And say, hey, this is what we're doing. Here is some, while I'm telling you this this awesome story, here's some homemade jerky. Because no mm-hmm. one turns down jerky, okay? No. Realistically <laughs> speaking, you can walk into just about anybody's office at work and go, hey, I've got some homemade jerky here. FYI, it's venison, but it's absolutely delicious. John down the hall really likes it. They're going to take a piece just to be nice, especially in the South. <laughs> oh, <yeah>. mean, <laughs> we, we don't want to offend anybody down here. So realistically speaking, if you walk in there and you say all that, and then you mention that the other guy liked it, they're going to take a piece and they're probably going to try it right there in front of you. And I can't tell you how many times that people, it, there, there's a lack of context or contact that creates these thoughts. Right. Like, yeah, you, you if you if all you do is is sit there and and, and by you, I mean, the person in the other sphere, the, the, the non hunting uh, part of the population, if all you do is sit there and this actually, you know what, this applies to everybody's life. This really does apply to everybody's life. If you approach a topic that you're un, un, uninformed about, you do a poor job of informing yourself because realistically, it's not their job to inform themselves about hunting. It's our job. And you, and you continue to develop these thoughts and you ruminate on these thoughts, it's going to become some kind of a monstrosity that it's not because you don't have the information, you don't have the context and you don't have the contact with people in that realm. And that's where reaching across and talking to people, you break down all these stereotypes. You break Mm -hmm. down all the thoughts that they had about what a, what a hunter is. When people find out that I hunt, they kind of crack up because I'm kind of preppy. Okay. I, 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 I'd make a great, I would have made a great frat boy. Okay. I mean, I just don't, I don't look like what this, the quote unquote stereotypical hunter looks like. Right. Yeah. And it, that gives me an end with certain people. I can talk to certain people and, and they immediately let their guard down.
1: Oh yeah. I, you know. Yeah. No, I I know exactly how, how you feel with that regard. Cause I, I'll get that from people and it's like, Oh, I didn't think you hunted. It's like, well, you know, kind of want to ask them why. Yeah. But then, you know, I never you know do, the answer. Feel, yeah. You know, it's like, <laughs> But, you know, but that's what we that's what we're up against, though, is, is are those those types of stereotypes, because people just innocently enough um, and it's, it's not done through like ill will or anything along, sure. along those lines. Like you said, it they don't think about hunting. They, they don't have to think about hunting. It's not what they do. Um, you know, they're the rest of the rest of the, the society. They're thinking about whatever they think about. They think about golf and sports and, you know who knows what else, you know, uh, they're not obsessed with this, uh, you know, this hunting thing that we are. Um, so it is our responsibility to, to have that conversation and explain those things
0: and, and, and say, yeah, well, you know, yeah, I hunt, you know, doesn't everybody you know? <laughs> normalize it. Re- re- yeah. Realistically speaking, just normalize it.
1: Yeah, absolutely.
0: Yeah, absolutely. You know, that's jerky. Jerky
1: is the great uh, yeah that's a that's a gateway food to conversation like that every
0: time too every time and and no doubt and i called you out before but all my southern boys all my southern listeners that come from these hospitality states if you offer somebody some jerky unless they just don't eat meat they're gonna take that jerky 99 out of 100 times okay that's just there's no excuse at this point boys no
1: (laughs) you're right you know what i've got a i've got a good friend who i used to work with you know and uh he actually lives in Florida now, and I need to send him some jerky because every once in a while he'll message me, particularly in hunting season, if he sees me get a deer or even a goose because I make a bunch of goose jerky too. Oh, but
0: that's good.
1: I'll, I'll get a random text, and he's like, Curran, send me my jerky. <laughs> <laughs> so, and he doesn't hunt, right? But, you know, him and him and I are buddies through work, and right. uh, um, that's it, you know. Right. I made jerky one day. He had it, and ever since then, for yeah. like the last five years, man, Curran, where's my jerky?
0: Right, right, yeah. <laughs> Well, and, and, and it, it's one of those things. It, it really does work. My wife, she goes to a liberal arts program. She's a master's in fine arts. Uh, you know, we're dealing with some of the most removed people from the hunting community you could possibly mm-hmm. find. And some of them don't even eat meat. And, yeah. and, and I have had her, some of of her, of her friends who don't often eat meat when they come to the house, it transformed from, I really appreciate the offer. But I don't really eat meat. To hey, are we having venison tonight? You know, like, nice. and that's just through food. They're never going to hunt, but they have a more favorable attitude towards it. Sure, you know. Sure. And all yeah. I did was feed them. That's right. <laughs> so and fed them well. Yeah, well, y'all. I that was a very thorough and detailed, engaged conversation. And I'm sure you're wondering, wow, this guy. He really has put a lot of thought of it into it. And when I said earlier that this that Sean is is living the life and he's involved with hunting on all levels, I wasn't making that up. Sean is the vice president of development and membership at Sportsman's Alliance. I I intentionally left left that to the end, just so that y'all could get to know the guy before you understood the title, so that you could you could get sold on who Sean is. Um, and, and and understand that this is a passion that envelops his entire life um sean i didn't know what a sportsman's alliance was for a long time mm-hmm. and i'm sure there's at least one listener that i have that doesn't know who sportsman's alliance is yeah w- would you be I, kind enough to kind of shed some light on that situation
1: yeah absolutely and if you know if i were a betting man i would bet there's probably more than one who doesn't know who <laughs> sportsman's alliance is and Um, You know, that's that's not uncommon. Um, So our organization, we've actually been around for 40 years. You know, we were founded uh, in Ohio in 19 well we were actually incorporated in 1978. Um, The actual genesis of the the organization started to occur uh, in 1977. Uh, There was a ballot initiative taking place in the state of Ohio uh, where outside interests, outside groups you know, were coming into the state and they were attempting to ban trapping. Uh, they saw Ohio as a swing state, uh, you know, as you hear about it, just as, as Florida is a key state in every single presidential election. So is Ohio. So they saw that as a, an opportunity. Um, they saw society kind of shifting there and, and moving away from things. And so they thought, well, if we can get into Ohio, if we can ban trapping there, then we can go elsewhere and we can take these ballot initiatives and go to the next state. Um, so, Groups of you know local businessmen, conservationists, um, you know wildlife personnel, you know, kind of came together as a collective, and they ran this campaign, and they won. They successfully protected trapping. Um, everybody celebrated. Everybody went you know back to their day jobs because all these people had regular nine-to-fives and 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 worked. Um, but calls continued to come in from around the country to some of the different leadership that was involved in this at the time, and you know, hey, we're having this similar issue with these, these groups in our state and we're seeing this type of legislature and we're having, this... so, you know, a, a light bulb kind of went off with our founders and they, they basically formed the organization, um, which is now known as the sportsman's Alliance. Um, we're, um, we were founded and our mission is to protect and advance the outdoor heritages of hunting, fishing, and trapping. Um, so, you know, that's essentially who we are and what we do. We we're essentially the watchdogs for sportsmen. Um, most of the time it's it's hunting and, and trapping that really come under attack. And when I say under attack, um, it's it's legislature, right It's bills that it get introduced at the state level. It's lawsuits you know that we fight in the courtroom and it's ballot initiatives it's it's organizations that will bankroll campaigns to try to you know motivate and move voters to ban certain things or to change the way that we manage wildlife and so you know that's that's kind of the the view from 30,000 feet you know we we have um we have kind of two sides to the organization we're we're a 501c4 and a 501c3 and that enables us to do the work you know the lobbying work that needs to be done as well as the legal work that needs to be done um so we've been kind of a a quiet organization over our lifetime um, because we are originally designed to kind of be the, the the coalescing group that works with all the other groups to, to win the issue. And, you know, that's what we do. That's, we've, we've always worked, you know, say for example, there's a, there's a, an issue um, in a state. We, you know, we come into that state, we work with all the partner organizations at the state level. We work with the national organizations who might have a, uh, a vested interest in whatever that particular uh, issue would be. Um, and we focus everybody and we focus on that issue and we win. <clears throat> and, you know, we've got a heck of a good success rate. You know, we win 95% of the issues that we're, <clears throat> that we're able to engage in. And so, yeah, we've kind of been a quiet leader in those regards for, for the past 40 years. Uh, the last several years, we've been really putting a, a concentrated effort on growing the, growing the organization um, because it's we no longer live in this this day and age now where you know buying our hunting licenses is enough you know as as hunters we all need to be involved in these processes you know especially when it comes to the, the political side of things and nobody wants hunting to be involved in politics you know myself included absolutely can't not. can't can't see it. it has no place in politics but unfortunately that's that's not the reality in which we live in right to to kind of use the analogy that you you said earlier, you know, if we're standing out in the rain, we can't be saying that it's not raining when we're getting wet. You know, we have to, we have to open our eyes and we have to see that, okay, it is raining. Let's open this umbrella and, and let's uh, focus on staying dry here. So, you know, that's, that's kind of the work that we do. It's, it's, it's working with partner organizations and, and just making sure that, you know, we're, we're protecting and advancing our outdoor heritages. You know, that's, that's the lifeblood of the organization.
0: And I think it's one that's very needed. Um I I'm I'm one of Well, you know what, I wanna I wanna back this up just a, a, a bit and, and let's let's extrapolate a little bit on that. You 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 touched on one of my questions earlier, which was what was the, the, the core mission of Sportsman's Alliance? What are some mm-hmm. of the initiatives that people can expect to see from the, the Sportsman's Alliance, I'm, and I'm not looking for like top secret things that, you know, maybe are coming down the pipe, but what should they expect to, uh, what calls of action should they ex- expect to receive if they were to join Sportsman's Alliance?
1: Yeah, absolutely. So, I mean, the the first half of that mission, the protect part, right? You know, that is, that's watching for bad legislature, um, you know, the, most of the things that we see proposed are, are happening at the state level, right? Because that's where wildlife is managed. Our state agencies are the ones who are, you know, setting forth regulations and things of that nature. Um, That's where we see a lot of the things happen is, is because wildlife decisions are made at the state level. So we see bills get introduced all, all the time, you know, when, when states are in session. So we're watching out for those things. You know, when we see something, that is going to be detrimental to sportsmen, um, whether it's an access issue, whether it is, you know, an all out, you know, say, oh, we're going to close archery hunting in this, this section of the state, you know, anything that would take away the sportsman's abilities to go out and enjoy the outdoors, you know, we get engaged in those things, you know, we, we do everything from, you know, sending out email alerts to our, our members and followers in those particular states to get them activated, You know, hey, click this link. Send your state legislature a letter, an email. Let them know that you know they need to vote down on this. Or even better yet, call them. Right? Your voice will be heard. They're not used to getting calls because people again are disengaged. Um, So you start you start shaking the cage a little bit and getting sportsmen calling down there and getting those phones ringing off the hook. Um, It's actually you know kind of fun when that stuff happens because we'll have you know, different offices from around the country when issues are going on, hey, can you guys call off your people? You know, this bill isn't going to go anywhere. And it's like, nope, now's the time to, to ratchet it up because we want to make sure, you know, we have to win everything that we're engaged in as as sportsmen. The other side only has to win once. Right. And it's a, vic- and it's a victory for them, right? So, I mean, that's why we have to just be just adamant about those types of things. So we, we do that. We also work in the court systems, you know, so sometimes things go that way and they end up in the courts. Um, a lot of the, the, the cases that we've been involved in in recent years have been, you know, long running, you know, issues around um, you know, wolves, you know, for example, is a good one for the uh, Western Great Lakes population of, of wolves. We've been involved in that lawsuit for over 10 years now. Uh, and those are expensive things to do. You know, our organization has alone has spent oh close to three quarters of a million dollars just just fighting for state agencies to have management of a recovered population of wolves in those states. So we've been engaged in that. Um, you've probably seen some things about the the Yellowstone ecosystem population of grizzly bears that are delisted. Um, I think Wyoming actually just approved their uh, their hunting. Uh, bear seasons for 2018-2019. There's currently five lawsuits that are that are out there um, trying to make sure that those hunting seasons don't move forward, that that distinct population of grizzly bears gets put back under endangered species protection. Um, you know, we get involved in those types of things. And then, of course, the ballot initiatives. You know, if 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 something would would come to fruition and there was a ballot initiative to ban, you know hunting or, or, or trapping or a combination of those types types of things, you know, we get involved in those and and we help with those types of campaigns, you know? Um, So lots of different things there on the protecting side, the advancing side, you know, that's the fun side of the mission. That's the stuff that we really, if we had more folks involved in the process, we need to be doing more advancing type work. That's introducing new kids to the outdoors and not only new kids, but new people, adults, getting people involved in, in the process of hunting. Um, some of that is involved with um, legislature as well, too. We've got a program called Families of Field um, that It's a partner program with that we've done with National Shooting Sports Foundation, with National Wild Turkey Federation, uh, Congressional Sportsmen's Foundation, and the NRA. Um, you know, we've gone out and, and done the work to put legislation in place in 39 out of 50 states right now. Uh, and, and what that is is, you know, if you have a apprentice license or a mentor hunting license in your state, that is families of field legislature. So that's work that our organization has done to put those, those, those apprentice licenses or those mentored hunting licenses into place. So that lets somebody go and, and buy a mentor hunting license, experience hunting with a, with a licensed hunter, a mentor. So they can essentially try before you buy. Um, whereas you know, in the past, we've we've wanted people to, to go through hunter education courses, and that's not a bad thing. You know, I'm, I'm a hunter instructor myself, um, but it's it is a barrier to entry. You know, let people go out and try it. Statistically, it's actually safer when people are hunting on a mentored license, because they're hunting right alongside with a mentor, they're hunting alongside with somebody who's got experience. So we've got all the data that proves that as well too. You know, so that's the advancing side is, is that, you know, we've got a learn to hunt program that we're launching this year um, where we're actually taking, we're we're taking a group of people and it's open to anybody, whether it's an adult or a child, if it's a child, they have to come with a parent because a kid's not going to go hunting without mom or dad or their aunt or uncle. So we're rolling that out this year and we're actually taking people through through a, through a course. And it does start in the classroom. It starts with hunter education, but the course is broken up into small bite-sized pieces. And we're also doing you know, introduction to shooting sports in conjunction with it. So we're working with a local conservation club who's gonna help us with that because they've got the facilities and they've got you know, certified instructors there for, for shooting and such and we're going to take these folks through this course. They're going to learn about, you know, hunter education. They're going to go out and they're going to, you know, we're going to shoot 22s, we're going to shoot shotguns, we're going to break clays. We're going to go through this whole process. It's going to end with a pheasant hunt and then a meal after that. So, we're taking these people who have zero experience but they have a desire to hunt. They want to know what it's all about you know some of them are, are going to come at it from a food aspect where they're, you know they want to know where their food comes from some of them are going to want to do it just because there's an urge they don't they don't know why but they think hunting is cool and they want to try it great come on so we're going to be rolling that out this year and then we're hopeful that you know next year we're going to be able to roll it out across multiple states and um, you know, get, get more and more people doing these types of things. And, and there's, there's other organizations and, and state agencies that are doing this right now. And it's, it's definitely a labor intensive, you know, endeavor, but it's, it, it works, man. It just, it gets a diverse and new audience out there and engaged in the outdoors. And, and that's what it's all about. You know, we have to have more people that are, that are, that are part of this hunting culture that we are.
0: Absolutely. So my last question for you regarding Sportsman's Alliance, I mean, I could ask you question after question, but I have right. kept you for quite some time. My my last question for you is how is Sportsman's Alliance, you mentioned its growth earlier. How do you mm-hmm. envision uh, Sportsman's Alliance growing to reach other parts of the country? Is it going to be a, a national organization that remains – uh, just kind of omnipresent and and everyone's involved, mm-hmm. or is it going to be more of a grassroots type of mm-hmm. organization? Because I could see I could see a benefit to having a Florida Sportsman's Alliance because then you could hone in on and 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 feed information back to a national organization. I don't mean to put that those words into your mouth, but I'm am just yeah. curious.
1: No, that's a, that's a great question, and that is um, it's one that we've really um, really been kind of talking about in depth, uh, you know, the last year or so. And, um, you know, right now, you know, yeah, the sportsman's Alliance, we're headquartered in Columbus, Ohio, where we were founded. Um, we, we work nationally because it's easy to mobilize and go out and work on these issues, but we do need more grassroots presence in every state, right? Some States are safer than others when it comes to these types of things. Um, but yeah, we're, we're looking at, you know, introducing a chapter program and that's, that's one of the things that you know my team is is really working on, and and we want to do it, and we want to do it right, uh, and we want to roll it out so that, yeah, you're empowering your members in Florida. We want them to be engaged. Um, we're here because you know we've got the expertise. Our government affairs team has been doing this for 40 years and have been doing a, a damn good job of of winning these issues. Um, so we want to help and we want to mobilize that grassroots effort and do that kind of through a chapter program and, and get those people involved, you know, get them involved in, in, in knowing who their legislators are and, and being part of the process, because that's what, that's where we need to go as, just as a whole hunting collective, we have to be involved in these processes. You know, it's yes, hunting is a, is a pastime and it's, it's something that we enjoy to do, you know, our spare time but there's other groups that are out there and this isn't like you know putting the boogeyman out there this is the reality there's groups out there that want to stop hunting period and those are the groups that we're going up against and they're really well funded you know the the top 10 you know what i'm using air quotes when i say anti-hunting but those anti-hunting organizations the top ten groups that we see over and over again, you see the same names, right? You see Humane Society of the United States, you'll see Center for Biological Diversity, you'll see PETA, you'll see a lot of these same names. But if you add them up, they've got a collective budget, collective annual budget of half a billion dollars. That's a that's a heck of a lot hmm. of money that if they actually all you know put that towards one singular issue, gosh, it's a scary thing to even think about, man. Right. But but that's why we have to get engaged. That's why our organization has to grow. You know, we have, you know, one of our one of our big picture, you know, goals that we talk about on the membership side of things. And I'm just gonna walk back to that number we talked about earlier, number of licensed hunters. If there's 13 million of us that are buying hunting licenses out there, if we had just 1%, 1% of every licensed buying hunter become a member to our organization, we could do so much more on the advancing side of our mission. Um, Not to mention what we could do on the protecting side to really shore things up just 1%. And that's just people joining at the basic $35 membership level. You know, that's, that's a game changer right there. And that's what we need. We need people to get engaged. We need more people to get involved and, um, and just be part of the process because it's, if we want to see this, this heritage move forward, this outdoor heritage, you know, we've, we've got to get more people engaged. It's just critical.
0: We agree, Bubba on every level (laughs) today. We have, we have been in agreement. Well, I I like to end everything on kind of a high note, not that that was a low note, but that was a, you know, that's a, that's a, that's a potentially dark topic. I mean, the idea that there's people out there trying to undermine something that uh, so many of us have, have held near and dear to our heart for, decades i mean um so i've got some rapid fire questions for you and do your best good luck to you are you ready
1: let's go i'm ready let's go
0: bow hunt or gun hunt you have to pick one. Oh, dang it <laughs> bow hunt okay public land hunt or private land hunt
1: See, I do both of these, like
0: 50-50.
1: <laughs>
0: <laughs> and I'm not putting any species on there either, so that's what uh, makes it even harder for you.
1: I know. it's it's Yeah, my mind's going, it's like a cat chasing a laser pointer. <laughs> you know, I'm going through all these different algorithms of what I would like to do. Private.
0: You can go on one hunt. This will be your last hunt ever. Deer or duck? Hmm, man. You know what?
1: I'm going to say duck. Okay. Okay. And I guess the, the reason be it, you know, you, you said bow or gun and I chose bow, but then when I'm thinking about last hunt ever, I'm going to say duck. And it's just cause it, you know, duck hunting has the social aspect it of does. it too. And, you know, I guess when I bow hunt, I'm pretty much by myself, you know, unless I'm taking, you know, one of my kids out there with me. Um, but duck hunting, I'm always with friends and always with a good dog. And so if I'm going to go out and that's my last one, that's the way I want to go out. I want to go out with 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 good friends, just enjoying the outdoors. Two hundred
0: and fifty inch, non typical, or a hundred and seventy inch, perfect eight point. One seventy inch. Okay, all right. Yeah. Beer, craft beer or bourbon? Oh God, man, you know me so well. You complete me craft beer Uh, really yeah oh i didn't expect that man i was really thinking okay lager porter Mm, it depends okay you know know, what you know what it's summer
1: yeah it's summertime so i am i'll give you that it depends
0: sure 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 um
1: in the fall i usually go darker towards you know porters and stuff like that gotcha
0: okay i dig it i dig it if you could give your 20-year-old self one piece of hunting advice to have shortened the learning curve, to have improved your hunt, to make you a better hunter, what one singular piece of advice would you give your, your 20-year-old self?
1: Dang, that's a good one too, man. I think, you know, it's, it's probably just... Go into every experience with an open mind. You know, the... Um, so often in hunting, we have our, our ways, and we kind of get set in those things, and we're slow to change, where I think if I if I went into things with more of an open mind, and um, probably would have shortened the learning curve a little bit if I wasn't so <laughs> stubborn, I guess is what I'm getting at.
0: <laughs> yeah, I think that's a pretty common thing. <laughs> yeah, I think so. <laughs> well, Bubba, dude, I, I really appreciate you taking time out your evening. I've had you on the phone for darn near – an hour and a half now, and um, it means the world to me that you take time out your day and 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 share that story with us and talk to us about Sportsman's Alliance and uh, all the other little tangents that we went on during that time.
1: Yeah, man, it was awesome. I mean, it, it seemed like we just started talking about five minutes ago. So uh, <laughs> it's
0: it's seriously it's been it's been an awesome conversation.
1: It's been it's been great. And I mean, I know we've been connected on social, you know, and it seems like it seems like we're old pals. But you know, just getting to talk and spend this time has been. Greatly appreciated. I'm glad we were able to do it.
0: Outstanding, buddy. Well, listen, hang on a line. I'm going to wrap this out, and then I just want to chat with you briefly. Guys. Sounds good. Guys, this has been great i have been studying my fanny off and i am glad to get back to podcast and i know i've been kind of intermittent with the podcast here in the month of may but that's okay it's the off season you should have been in the woods scouting more than you should have been sitting inside listening to the podcast so i'll, I'll forgive you for not tuning in if you'll forgive me for not putting more episodes out there but uh my my cpa exam my next one is done this weekend which means starting in july you can expect routine podcasts coming out of me. We've got guests coming from all over the country. And if you've been waiting on a vinyl decal, I've got good news for you. They're on their way. My wife made them last night. Last night they were made. I'm going to get those out to you ASAP. And if you don't get one, shoot me a message and I will gladly send one to you. As always, this is Walt. Y'all have a good one.